All right, folks, we are here for another episode of Internal Budget. This is episode 65 of the podcast. If only there were a famous Ottawa senator who wore number 65 that we could name the episode after. Uh, well, maybe it'll come to me after. Anyways, uh, not too much time to delay today. It's the day of the NHL draft coming out on Friday. We got Graham Nichols on the show. How you doing, man? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So I think the big news that everybody is talking about uh, for the senators is losing Joey Decord to the Seattle Kraken in in the expansion draft. Um, I got to say, man, this one caught me off guard a bit. I I have been pounding the drum that I thought Joey Decord was safe uh, from expansion. I thought Seattle would certainly opt for a forward. Uh, They didn't. Um, Were you surprised by the Kraken taking Decord? I'm not really surprised that the Kraken took Decord just simply because he was one of like the few young players who could have been made available to them. Right. I, I think, you know, it, maybe if Logan Brand slipped through, maybe that would have been a possibility as well. But like just on paper of the guys who were available, I thought like Abramov and Decord were like the two who had a little bit of like unfulfilled upside that, that, you know, they just haven't played enough games at the NHL level to prove what they can do uh, consistently. But um just for that alone, I, I know like Evgeny Dadnov is being thrown back in is a bit of a wrinkle. And, you know, he's a guy who's had a lot of success at the NHL level for a number of years. But you look at his age, salary, uh, the likelihood of diminished returns. And and it, to me, it just made sense. You know, you get a young, controllable asset, Joy Decord, who's waiver exempt next season. He's someone you can plug in the minors. And in the event of an injury, he can step in and play. And, and who knows, right? He's only like 24 years old, I believe, or yeah. maybe he just turned 25. So uh, maybe there is a little bit of more unfulfilled upside and Decord's had success at every level, whether it's, you know, NCAA, the ECHL, the AHL, or uh, I thought he had some really nice moments last year in Ottawa. Uh, he mm-hmm. looked like an athletic goaltender who could make some stops and uh, he'd look like a guy who would battle and uh, his teammates seem to have loved him. The fans here, despite the player only being here for a short period of time, seems to have, have really gravitated towards his personality. He just seems like a genuinely good dude. So you know, it's it's a bit of a painful loss in that sense because you never want to lose a young player that you, you know who's been sitting in the minors for a while, developing, and and to lose him without netting an asset in return is kind of a blow. But at the same time, you look at Ottawa's goaltending depth and the prospects that they've accrued, and the possibility that they could select another one with what their tenth overall pick this year. And you know, if if Ottawa takes a Jesper Wallstead in the first round this year, I don't think people will be too worried about Joey Decord. No, and you got to think Pierre Dorian is super unhappy about how everything shook out, though. I mean, he exposed his dad and and Tyranny, hoping that at least one of them is going to get taken off the books for free. And instead, he loses one of his top prospects. But uh, I think the Ottawa crease situation is going to be really interesting next year. You've got Matt Murray, who's looking for a bounce back season again, um, looks solid. To the towards the end of the year before getting hurt again. Uh, you got Anton Forsberg back in the mix. Uh, Philip Gustafson showed that he's a capable everyday NHLer, at least for now. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's tough to say what the roster is going to look like given any kind of COVID flexibility that remains. But uh, do you see Gustafson kind of pushing for a spot in Ottawa next year, maybe ending up as Murray's backup? Or do you think he's spending the entire year in Belleville now that Decor is out of the mix? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, and I, who knows how it'll shake out, right? Like injuries, yeah. it seems like every year Ottawa's goaltending duo gets solidified. Like an injury happens, and something, and you know, a wrench gets thrown in the mix, and some guy that you've never really anticipated being in the picture takes takes center stage and, and runs with it a little bit. You know, like we've had guys like Mike Condon and. 
you know, Andrew Hammond's come out of the blue and, and there's always been kind of like a guy like that. And, and I think, you know, Gustafson looked great last year. I think he's a young goaltender who's really athletic and he's just square to the shooter. And, and that was just something that was sorely needed. Like watching Matt Murray play last year, I was kind of, you know, like obviously we've all watched Pittsburgh play over the years, especially against Ottawa in the postseason and stuff. But like, I didn't realize how unathletic Matt Murray would look when you watch him that consistently. And I was just kind of like shocked and taken back a little bit at times last year saying how, like, I, yeah. I, I know you shouldn't judge a guy based off like at his lowest moments. And I think last season in Ottawa was probably some of his lowest moments as a, as a professional goaltender, but I, I was just kind of taken aback at where his game was at. And then maybe it's a confidence issue. Maybe it's just new team, um, new coach, new expectations. You're the guy you've, got a new big extension signed and maybe there's some pressures to go with that. And, you know, I'm, I think everybody should give him uh, the benefit of the doubt and, and an opportunity next season to prove that he can handle the number one reigns. But I think if he gets off to a bad start, uh, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Anton Forsberg. Um, and, you know, like he's been a number three goaltender who's bounced around uh, consistently over the years and he doesn't have a great track record, although he played really well last year in Ottawa. So injuries happen all the time with goaltenders um i don't even know if ottawa will carry three goaltenders yeah that's, you know, that, that, that's the other wrinkle right like we have no idea how it's going to shake shape shape up really so it wouldn't shock me at all if Gus is sincere but you know you look at the ahl level matt sogar played really well last year in, in belleville and if he keeps tracking the way he's tracking like gustison might have to fight for some games down there as well so it's yeah. just it's there's so much internal competition and it's just such a great spot to be in. And if these kids can push each other to get uh, better and push the other ones to be better and just support each other through the process, I think it's, it's exciting. Right. Mm -hmm. I I think Murray too, to your point about looking unathletic, uh, that was one of the differences I noticed at the end of the year when he was starting to play well, he racked up a couple shutouts. He just looked like he was moving a little more fluid. Like he was tracking the puck a little bit better. Uh, Maybe that's the Zach Burke effect. Maybe it's just a, a matter of him getting healthy but we're going to see next year when that firepower comes back to the Atlantic division uh speaking of firepower maybe more appropriately lack thereof I, I do want to talk about Evgeny Dadnov because he's been a subject of a ton of conjecture over the past few weeks uh I have been vocal in my belief that exposing him was a mistake uh I think he is a prime bounce back candidate out of salary that's you know not ideal but it's palatable at least for this year um but what are you, what were your thoughts on Dorian exposing him? And, and do you think he's going to end up in Ottawa again in October? You know what? My first thoughts on Dorian exposing him are, I know a lot of people like to, to spin the argument uh, or like to spin the argument that it was like, why did we protect Austin Watson, a fourth yeah. line player over Evgeny Dadnov? And, you know, like I, if you're just looking at it through that lens, yeah, like it, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You're protecting a fourth line player who doesn't have a lot of projectable upside over a guy who scored 25 plus goals on three separate occasions, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's had success recently, dad enough. So just in that lens alone, I think, yeah, you can get a little bit disappointed and, and be a little surprised with how it kind of uh, unraveled here a little bit. But at the same time, you know, I think it is a little bit more nuanced, right? Like Dadnov is commanding a big salary. He's making $5 million this season. He's going to make six and a half the next. Like 
if you have an opportunity to get out from under that contract and reallocate that money towards guys who you believe can be better players, then yeah, like I can totally understand that argument. But at the same time, in saying that, it's really, really easy to say, hey, go spend that money on a better player. But it, it's another to actually make that dream come to fruition. So yeah. I don't know. I, it's interesting because when I first saw Dadnoff get moved, I'm thinking, okay, Ottawa has a move in mind that they would like to make. Um, maybe they have a back pocket deal uh, where they can bring in a player right away to fill that kind of void and uh, that or out just to reallocate that money. But, you know, now that he went through the way the expansion process and was never picked, it's going to be an interesting to see what happens. Like, uh, you know, Ottawa has been linked to players like Ryan Strom. Are they still going to be linked to players, uh, you know, commanding like four and a half, five million dollars a year or, now that dad not stay, or, or is Ottawa going to be like bargain hop, bargain shopping again? Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's certainly an interesting dynamic, and I I totally agree with you. I think like Dadnov is a perfect candidate to bounce back. I think people look at him last season and they say, well, he scored zero goals on the power play and only had one power play assist. Like he's garbage. He's he's not a good player. But I think if you watched him play, the one thing that surprised me last year is that he didn't seem like for a guy who put up like. 25 goals and 60 plus points on a few times. Like he just didn't seem like the dynamic kind of player who no. creates those kinds of points, but that's not, it's no fault of his own, right? Not everybody's a flashy player. I think Yeah. what it shows is that he, he, he just needs to find his spot. He needs the puck in certain spots to get his goals. And I think if you watch his highlights of Florida, Huberto was very good at finding that. And I think mm-hmm. when he was on the ice last year, even though he might not necessarily put up the points that a lot of people were anticipating, he also didn't hurt the team at all when he was on the ice. And, no. and there's something to be said about an offensive player who doesn't kill you defensively as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, his possession numbers were fine. Scoring chance data, everything else was, was on par. Like he was more favorable. He was, he, more he, of actually, a positive. he was more of a net positive than a net negative. Yeah. If, um, I, if I'm not mistaken, he actually put up his high, his best uh, expected goals against number of his career last year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that's, and that's the other thing I kind of wanted to, to touch on is, in terms of deployment, it seemed like he almost had a shorter leash than everybody else uh, from DJ Smith. I mean, this is a guy who, like you mentioned, is a perennial 25 goal scorer, uh, former 70 point guy. And he got like one or two looks on the top line all year. Um, you know, so maybe it's maybe the coach sees something he doesn't like. But uh, but but I don't know, man, like the whole thing is strange to me. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen now that Zach Hyman looks like he's going to get locked up in Edmonton for that dog's breakfast of a contract um you know like because i really thought if the senators were going to move on from dad that was probably the plan was to take a hard run uh, at hyman i mean we, we talked about it a little bit but if they do move on from him and they flip him for whatever they can get like who do you see them coming uh, bringing in to fill that right wing spot because that's a thin position now uh like there are some guys who are out there right like uh connor garland's a guy out of arizona i think yep. is 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 I think he would be a great fit on Ottawa's third line. And, you know, maybe you could even go out and, and grab a linemate like Michael Bunting as well and, and have that kind of boy, the uh, bottom six for the Senators. But you're right. Like, it, it's it's not it's not a great situation trying to find replacements for Dadnov if you have to move on. But uh, it certainly it puts a lot of pressure on Connor Brown. Um, yeah. Like another, like, bounce. But like, I, I think the thing with Connor Brown is, like, he's always had – those individual, like he creates a ton of individual chances and you watch him play. He generates it through hard work, back checking uh, his, his motors really, really strong. And he generates a lot of his own chances just off his sheer work alone. And I think last year in the second half of the season, like all the chances that he would generate uh, just started going in mm-hmm. and 
you know, you watch him in the first half of the season. It was almost like watching Eric Condra at times. Like, oh <laughs> God, if you, if this guy would just bury like 30% more of his chances, like he'd be phenomenal. And, mm. and he started to, and it, it's great to see like a player who's that good, who finally has some good luck go his way. Like there was, it was a lot of fun to see. And it certainly makes the contract that he signed with Ottawa look a hell of a lot better than what Zach Hunt just got in, in Edmonton. So but there's going to be a lot of pressure on him next season, right? He's got to prove that he can get, you know, eclipse the 20 goal threshold again and, and prove that he can play in a top six capacity. And I think like, I think having some familiarity with DJ Smith has kind of entrenched him uh, and put him in a little bit of a higher regard than a dad off. Right. It just seems, yeah. it just seems like it earns him a little bit more leeway and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that's just one of the wrinkles that, Dadnov's is going to have to overcome when it comes to his usage. Yeah. I mean, a guy in Connor Brown who maybe, maybe played a bit over his head in, t- in terms of production at least. Uh, but you and I have both written articles recently actually about, uh, about the Senators search for a number one center, as Eugene Melnick put it, even though I think Jack Eichel is probably the only bona fide number one center on the market this year. But uh, we've heard the names tossed around uh, Ryan Strom and Nazem Kadri and Christian Dvorak. Uh, I, I personally, now that the Dvorak rumblings have kind of started, I don't know how much there is to them, but I think he would be a fantastic fit. He's really good in both ends of the ice. He can score. He's good on the power play. Um, I think if you're talking about maybe putting him on a second line with Tim Stutzla, at least for now, there might be something there, but uh, of the guys whose names have been tossed around and maybe even somebody off the board, who do you think would be a fit for Ottawa uh, going into this, going into this October? It's kind of ironic. I'll, I'll just segue this. It's kind of ironic that we're like one year removed from like Jean-Gabriel Pajot leaving where it's like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, we got to find it. We got to find a center. And it's like, all these guys are kind of coming in at the same price level as Pajot. So it, yeah. like, I'm not saying we should have kept them by any means, but it's just kind of funny and ironic. how like a year later, it's like, Oh, we need a veteran presence to help shelter these guys. It's like, well, <laughs> you guys literally just punted one off the roster and he's yeah. doing fairly well in long Island. So it's a monster return though. It's hard to feel bad about that trade. Oh, I know. I know. I know. And it's all revisionist history and stuff. It's just funny right but yeah yeah but yeah like you're right like nazim kadri i i think the problem with a lot of the guys that Ottawa has been linked to thus far they're all kind of like 28 29 30 years of age right and mm-hmm. many of them are on short-term deals and i think ottawa could use a center i i also think they could stand pat with shane pinto colin white and josh norris and be totally fine next year yeah um but the problem is it and i mentioned this on another podcast the other day is that we're having the same conversation now about Shane Pinto that we had last year with Josh Norris. And I know Shane Pinto didn't play in the AHL for a full season. He doesn't have that professional experience under his necessarily under his belt yet, but at the same time, he looked pretty damn good in, in that small sample size of games that we saw at the end of last season. And uh, I, I, you know, Colin White's a guy who's played in the top six uh, with Mark Stone and Brady Kachuk. Like he's good defensively. He's not going to kill you. You might put up offensive, modest offensive point totals, but he's a guy who also scored 20 goals at one point too. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they could do worse, but at the same time with a lot of these guys like Strom and Kadri, like, do you really want a short-term guy? Do you really want to spend a considerable um, opportunity cost to bring in another, like kind of like Derek Stepan kind of mm-hmm. player? Not saying, I'm not saying he's going to have a bad year like Stepan had, but the danger of that is if a guy gets hurt, or if a guy underperforms and or whatever, like that deal could blow up in your face. And I just think for for where Ottawa is in their development, I think they'd almost be better 
getting someone who's here on a multi-year deal, who's a little bit younger, who can fit with the core, who you could easily uh, flip to someone else yeah. if Shane Pinto proves he's good. And, you know, like Dylan Strom's a guy uh, who I mentioned a few times who's just a little, maybe a little bit undervalued in Chicago because he, he's coming off a bad year, but he's a guy who's had success. The underlying numbers are strong. He's 23, I believe, or 24. So he's, a, so he's a little bit younger. And um, he, he's a guy that m- might show you something. And I, I just don't – I know Otto keeps talking about we want to get a veteran center in here and, and everything else. It's just I don't – for what teams probably want for a lot of the guys that are on the market, I probably wouldn't pay that price if I'm Otto. No. I'd rather just hold on to the picks and then – see where the team's at this year. You know, you're going back to the Atlantic division after, after their uh, experience or experiment in the North division last year. And I think, you know, here's a chance for you to actually measure your team up against the Tampa Bay's, the uh, Florida's, the Boston's, the Montreal's, the teams actually finished and, and did relatively well in the postseason. And uh, it's, it could be more of a measuring stick year for the organization. I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the young kids to grow and, yeah. and perform. But I like, I wouldn't write Shane Pinto off. No, definitely that's, not. that's just kind of how I feel about it. And I think, I don't know how the organization feels about Colin white, but I think you could do worse as a third line center. Yeah, I do too. I, I like Colin white in the bottom six. The, the, the Pinto thing's interesting for me because um, I know the, the comparisons to Norris are inevitable, like you said, but um, I, I just think banking on that guy after he played like what, eight NHL games or whatever it was at the end of the season. Like, I don't love that. I don't feel like it's a sure bet. Um, And it wouldn't be the worst thing for him to spend a year in Belleville, or at least the bulk of the year in Belleville playing top line minutes, Um, get that professional experience, round out his game a little more. And you can say the same thing about his, uh, about his UND compatriot JBD. But in hearing what you were saying about the criteria that they should be looking at for a center, like to me, um, if he is in fact available, Dvorak hits all those boxes for me. He's 25. He's locked in for four more years at 4.45 million. I mean, the only thing that uh, maybe will put the senators off a bit is he out earns his cap hit in the final two years. His base salary is like 5.7 uh, in his last two years. And uh, we all know how the senators feel about deals like that, at least given on, given their actions. Right. But, but that's a guy I like. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, how much you've watched the player over the last few years. I don't know how big of an Arizona Coyotes fan or follower you are. Just, but, the, one uh, or, just the one or two games a year. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's it. <laughs> when they wear the Kachina jerseys, I watch them. But uh, <laughs> is that a guy you could see like being a fit? Uh, maybe. Like, so that, yeah. So essentially that takes him to his UFA years, right? So he's 25 yeah. now. He's got four years left. Uh, like, uh, maybe I, I'm, it just seems like he signed to the years of unparalleled success. That's important. Yeah. Thing. And that's it. Like if he doesn't, if he doesn't perform at the level that you're anticipating, then you're put in a position where he, he could wind up eating some of those dollars. Right. And I know the organization has said no, numerous times under Melnick in the, in the last little bit, that Hey, we'll spend on the cap when the time's right. And uh, we'll set this team up for the five years of unparalleled success, but you, you got to put, you got to put the actions to the words. So I don't know. I don't know. Just the way Ottawa's operated. They haven't, they haven't shown a, a huge willingness to spend a lot of extra money. So they've got a, a lot of young guys coming off ELCs that they got to sign up big deals. And, and I just, I just don't know if they want to lock up money in that. I just don't know. Is like Dvorak's a decent player, but is, is he a safe bet? I don't know. Yeah. That's a good point. 
I mean, I guess we should pivot to the back end as well, because apparently the senators are going after a, a, a right handed defenseman. Um, and again, it's it's the same names that have been thrown around since the beginning. Uh, I don't see David Savard coming to Ottawa. Um, uh, I think he's going to get whatever money is left after Dougie Hamilton gets his contract. So probably end up being overpaid. I mean, Adam Larson would have been a good fit, especially at that deal he signed in Seattle. I think that would have been a perfect type of deal. What was it? Four by 4.6, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Like that's perfect for the senators. But uh, I guess what I'm asking Graham is who's left. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, Yeah. I thought like before the playoffs started, I thought like David Savard would be interesting. Shares an agent with Tom Shabbat. Um, He would have been a good fit alongside Shabbat. And I think, they don't necessarily need like a high end, high end guy. No, Cause no, no. I, I look at Ottawa's situation. I think ideally you want to have Zub playing with Shabbat on the top pair. If you can find someone on the second pair, so you can give Zub more minutes, more responsibility and everything uh, playing alongside Shabbat. I think that's ideal. If you can get Nikita Zaitsev to the third pairing, insulate his minutes a little bit better. I think that would be huge. Um, but you're right. The market is barren and I don't know what they're going to do. And even on the left side, like Pierre Maguire was hired recently and, and he came in and he says he wants to see uh, pairings where there's like a big guy with a small guy all the time. Yeah. And I, I look at Ottawa and I see Victor Mete and I see Eric Brandstrom uh, potentially filling the bottom four spots mm-hmm. on the left side. And I wouldn't be surprised if the senders go out and try and get a bigger left defenseman as well. Someone that they can plug in there uh, for certain matchups and and everything else. And it's going to be interesting because those guys cost money and Ottawa's got to make room for them. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do because they definitely do need some back end help. Mm -hmm. And I just, I have a hard time seeing them going into the season with what they have on paper. Yeah. And you get, it's, you know, and maybe their hesitance to play Zub on that top pairing comes from the size thing, right? Like he's not an overly big guy. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a waste of assets to try to go get a guy on the left side. I mean, you've got Brandstrom, you've got Mate coming or sorry, Mate's already there. You got Sanderson coming. Like, I mean, the right side is the clear focus to me. Like there is a major drop off from Artem Zub to Nikita Zaitsev to Josh Brown, um, you know, maybe, and, but what do you do if Bernard Docker has a really strong camp? Well, you got to play him, right? Well, do you though? Because I don't know. It, it seems like they like to put their guys in the AHL, let them marinate for a little bit, which doesn't hurt them, right? Like yeah. it never hurts a prospect to spend a little bit more time in, in Belleville under uh, under man. But it's it's there's some there's some opportunity, and the only thing is, and it, whether it's Pinto or Jacob Bernard Docker, you just don't want to see these prospects get blocked out by a veteran placeholder who's just playing ineffectively. I think that's a concern a lot of the time, right? Like if these Mm -hmm. guys are ready to play, put them in, don't, don't worry about the veterans, just let them play. Like, I don't think if you ask fans at the end of last season, if they, you know, if they want to endure another season where you're watching guys like Cedric Paquette play like 30 plus games or whatever, they're going to shake their head. They're saying we didn't sign up for that. Like let the kids play and develop. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people are looking forward to this year. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Bernard Docker's probably in tough just coming into camp. Like, I mean, they sat him in the press box for like however many games after he signed. Right. I just, I, I don't get some of the way they've managed some of these players, but, um, but to that end, I, I think if a lot of problems are solved, if Shane Pinto and Jacob Bernard Docker show up to camp as bona fide NHL players, um, you know, I, I don't know how likely that is uh, or how likely the senators are to put their faith in them uh, right away. But I, but I think that is 
I mean, that's just gravy at that point. Right. But with the draft tonight, uh, when this episode comes out, I guess we should kind of pivot a little bit before we run out of time here. How, where do you, what direction do you see the senators going in? I mean, the 10th pick is really interesting because I think it's dependent on a couple of key guys falling a little lower than they perhaps should. Um, I think we all thought that if the senators were eyeing Jesper Wallstadt, they'd probably be uh, blocked on that front by the Detroit Red Wings and the Los Angeles Kings. But now you have the Red Wings trading for Alex Nedeljkovic. So my guess would be that they're not going to draft a goaltender with their pick. Um where do you see Ottawa going? Are we talking Cole Sillinger? Are we talking Mason McTavish? Do they go at the goalie? It's it's fascinating. You know, like on my own podcast, I was talking to Scott Wheeler and I talked to Will Scouch. And there's just like, there's just, even though there's consensus on who like the top 15, top 20 guys in this draft shall be, it seems like there's just, you look at the dynamics and the consensus rankings that are out there. There's just so much fluidity, right? Like you have the guy who gets taken first could wind up be taken six on some other boards. It's just... I haven't seen this much action in terms of where guys could slide and in years. Yeah. And I think that from just from an Ottawa perspective, sitting at 10, you're, you're kind of, it's, it's just kind of gravy at this point, right? Like, it's almost like there's no pressure. Like there's mm-hmm. absolutely no pressure. It's it, it, to me in a way, it's almost like reminiscent of, of last year's draft when Ottawa was picking third. Right. Yeah. You know, like the Rangers and the Kings had so much pressure on them. They nailed their picks because if you, if you miss out on the guy who goes third and he winds up being the best of the lot, well, revisionist history says people are going to rip you for it. Yeah. Whereas Ottawa, you just pick whoever slides to you and, it, and it's easy. And I think this year drafting 10, I think it's going to be more of the same. Um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned some names um, like Mason McTavish is a local product. Uh, he's played a lot, plays center, plays a hard two way game. He'd be interesting, I think, just based off the local connections. Uh, he kind of has that style that the centers seem to value a lot, like the safe floor, two way, two way center. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, at the same time, like Ottawa's picked a lot of safe floor guys over the last like two, three years. So maybe they roll the dice and, and go for skill, more high end skill, maybe like a Lee Sell or, or, or someone else. But um, it, it's just going to be fascinating to just kind of watch where guys fall. And if the centers take a goaltender because they lost Joey Decor, then that's what, that's what they're going to do. I, yeah. I can't blame them. Like if they believe that there's a true number one goalie out there, like I'm not going to be disappointed that they took them. I'll be a little bit surprised, but I don't like, it seems like they trade up to get a goaltender every year. So yeah. it would hardly be a surprise whatsoever. But I think, you know, if we're talking about Wallstead and and looking at the picks that Ottawa's accrued over the years, it, it kind of, it's, it's funny to me because you spend a lot of draft pick capital moving up to get guys like Sogard. Uh, you target Philip Gustafson in a trade. And to me, the goaltending landscape is just so fascinating because it, there's so much movement and, and the guy that you like yesterday might not be the guy you like like a year from now or two years from now. And, and it seems with Ottawa, it's kind of always been like that. They just keep accruing more and more depth and, and the pecking order just changes all the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting, too, that another guy with uh, NHL pedigree and Cole Sillinger might fall to them because they seem to like that. I mean, they've Pierre Dorian, I recall last year, kind of denied that that was a factor into their drafting decisions. But I mean, come on, like we're talking yeah. Jake Sanderson and Norris and Batherson, like it's. It's Kachuk. Like the proof is kind of in the pudding here. Oh, uh, you can anytime you have the chance to draft the old time senators, great Mike Sillinger's kid, you have to do it. Yes, right? absolutely. But Sillinger's interesting too because like Will Scouching, like I was just you know you go down the rabbit hole, right? You start mm-hmm. watching all the like, these YouTube highlight videos that everybody watches, and like Cole Sillinger's, you're like, man, this this guy can shoot it and rip it, and then 
uh, I post on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, I'm watching a Cole Sillinger video. And then, you know, someone reached out to me. They're like, oh, you should totally watch Will Scouch's uh, a video on Cole Sillinger. I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. So I go down that rabbit hole and it leads you to that. And you, you kind of see how this guy does a lot of stuff individually within the offensive zone. And it just raises some questions. Whereas, you know, it's just, you're kind of building like the most complete picture of a prospect you can before mm-hmm. you arrive at any conclusions. And I, I thought it was really, really interesting. So if anybody hasn't watched it yet, go to scouting.ca or go to Will Scouch's YouTube channel and check it out. Cause it's, it's, super interesting how he uses like data tracking to kind of add little uh scouting elements to uh some of the top prospects being considered in the Mm -hmm. top 10 and they've uh and the senators have taken the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush approach right i mean uh there are a lot of people who are going last year why are you drafting a left-handed defenseman at number five when you have all these guys in the pipeline but I mean, it proved to be kind of prophetic because Christian Malanen is in Los Angeles now and Eric Branstrom's finally starting to come in his and come into his own. So uh, I, I don't think they'll shy away from taking a center at number 10, even though they have guys like Ridley Gregg and Shane Pinto who are kind of getting to the point where they're ready to step in. Um, For in, sure. in terms of moving picks, uh, Dorian alluded to the, today to the fact that uh, that they might try to move back into the first round with one of their second rounders. Like, I, I don't know what the likelihood of that is um, just, you know, based on who might be willing to, to trade a pick, but who do you think they're going to target if they perhaps get into the late first round with one of their seconds? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, I don't even like you, you talk about positional need and stuff too. And I, I don't know where a lot of positional need is for the senators, right? Like it'd be nice if they got like a really skilled center, Um It'd be nice if they had like another right winger, maybe, because I think like after Sokolov on the right side, it's pretty, it's pretty barren. Like Drake Batherson's graduated, obviously off, off the prospect list and stuff. So maybe right wing, uh, right defense. I think they could probably use another guy. Um, But you talked about the two second round picks. It's how do I, when they get to the second round, they've been drafting a lot of guys who project to be like third, third line players, like almost like middle six is, is yeah. their upside and stuff. And they've never really rolled the dice on a lot of high end skill, especially like early on. Right. They like their safe floor guys. So it's going to be kind of fascinating, especially in a draft like this, right? Like the OHL did not play this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have extended opportunities to watch a lot of these kids play across every country. So for guys who have late birthdays who are late bloomers, there's the real opportunity for a lot of good players to kind of slip through the cracks a little bit and slide, uh, whether that's the second round, the third round, the fourth round, like more, more so than any other year, I think just the, just the effects of the pandemic uh, could have huge ramifications on, on guys like sleepers falling to the later rounds. And I think, it's going to be fun to look back at Ottawa's situation because they're a small scouting staff, right? Like they're, they're not a big staff and it's just, how are they going to deal with what happened? Is it going to benefit? Everybody loves their amateur scouting staff. And I don't think you'll have a hard time finding people who would, who would knock it. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to sit back like two or three years from now and see kind of like, all right, what, t- what organizations did what, who did really well, who didn't do well? Why, why is that? And it, it's kind of going to be fascinating to see what Ottawa's doing. And they have a lot of like, Ottawa has a ton of picks. I think they have 11 picks in 2022, right? And that's yeah. supposed to be a really strong draft. So maybe this is the year where they like start swinging for the fences. And to me, if that's what they do, I'm all for it, man. Like go, go after the big boomer bust prospects and then uh, take a shot. I, I think it's a bit of time. Ottawa took their shot. Agreed. Graham Nichols. It's been a pleasure having you uh, before I let you go really quickly. What's Brady Kachuk's next contract going to be? Uh, three years. I'll say uh, 19 and a half. 
So you're talking like seven million AAV roughly? Uh I'd say six and a half. Six and a six half. And Ooh, half. That'd be on the low end, I think. I think you're going to so? yeah, I don't know. I think I think they'll give him his bridge deal. And I don't think the AAV will be as high as people expect it to be. Yeah. Well, that'd be good for a senator's team that operates on something of an internal budget. Folks, gnichols.substack.com. Check out the Ottawa Senators newsletter, Rome in a Day. It is fantastic stuff. You're not going to find much better coverage anywhere else. That's it for this episode of Internal Budget. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the NHL draft festivities tonight. And we will see you for another episode next week. Take care, everybody.